You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. It's the story of Jonah. Who's heard the story before? Fascinating book. A really odd book, and we're going to talk to you about why it's odd. But what's the one thing you think about? One word, if you could just sum up Jonah in one word, what would that word be? I might even get you to say it on a count of three. Um, one, two, three. What do I know? Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I didn't expect you all to say something different. What did I hear over here? Fish? Oh, no, fish is, yes, yeah, and then I heard whale from this side, but that's, that's pretty much, yeah, what I was going for, whale or fish. Um, if you said something else, don't be embarrassed, that's okay. Um, but it's fascinated with the whale. It, it, it's, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing sometimes. Um, this story sometimes, um, unfortunately, has been, and fortunately, has been reduced sometimes to a storybook or a Veggie Tales episode or movie, if you know what that is. And so you think, for me, when I originally opened the book of Jonah, my mind went back to a giant cucumber running away from God. Uh, If you don't know what VeggieTales is, that'll sound strange. Um, But sometimes we kidify it, which is fine, but there's so much we can lose, so much depth that is written in this Old Testament book. And there is depth. Short book, but there is depth. Depth. We can lose how deep and incredible this story is and write it off as a kid's story. And so my prayer for the next few weeks, Burley, is as we approach the cross afresh, as we approach Easter, which is the big one. I know this world makes Christmas the big one, and that's okay, but Easter's the big one. For Christians, it's the big weekend. And so I pray that we prepare our hearts for God to do something this month. So the invitation is to go deeper. I've called it Jonah, deep repentance and renewal. Our transformation track theme this month is going to be repentance and renewal. And I'm I'm praying that this is both encouraging but also challenging as we unpack this story. It's a story about actually a horrible guy. Um... He's actually a pretty horrible guy the more you look at it. He's a pretty cranky guy, a so-called prophet. Um, He's full of pride. He's cranky. He's self-righteous. He knows everything. He's very judgmental. And so the questions one should be asking as we enter this series is not how does a fish or a whale or a big fish swallow a man. The question is actually far deeper. What are some of the horrible things in Jonah that maybe we can see in humanity and dare I say, ourselves at times? And what does it look like for us to go to deep places and learn afresh about God's grace? So that's the invitation. I want to leave a whole heap of space as we approach this Easter weekend. And like the depth of the ocean, would love us to go deeper as a church and as individuals. So let's pray and then we're going to open up the first chapter of Jonah today. God, thank you for this morning already. Thank you for the words of those songs sung. We just and, and thank you for communion. Thank you for Judy leading us through that. And we just pray as we reflect on the cross, the big weekend in our calendar, that we would make some time in our all-too-busy schedule to reflect, to consider, 
to repent, turn around from some things, to go to those deep, deep places, to hear your voice afresh for the first time or maybe for a long time. It's been a long time maybe. If that's us, Lord, this morning, I just pray over this series. We can explore the depth of who you are, your grace and what you have for us. May your Holy Spirit dwell as a part of this series and this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read Jonah 1. going to open up here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. I even rehearsed that word. And Amittai. Go to, <laughs> go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarnish, Tarish. He went down to Joppa when he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Let's continue. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And we'll pause there. There's different genres in the Bible. Um, there's different types of writing styles in the Bible that make up the 66 books. And this one gives the illusion that it's a prophetic book. Normally, a prophetic book would say, and then someone heard from the Lord, and then the rest of the book, they would tell you what they heard. This book does something really different that no other book does that's both a prophetic book about a prophet quite strange it would say it would normally start with a word of lord coming to the prophet which it does start with then something instantly different happens 
It says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before him, me. But Jonah ran away and headed for Tarish. Instantly, this whole book turns this idea on its head. This was intentional. The author is doing something in this book. This book is about Jonah, who is God's spokesperson in this season. If you don't know what a prophet is, it's not necessarily a medium. It's not about telling the future. Sometimes as part of that, a prophet in the Old Testament sense was speaking on behalf of God, was God's voice. And here we have God's voice for this season, Jonah, and he decides, yeah, nah, <laughs> I'll run the other way. Now, there's a whole debate about this story. Um, the debate goes a little bit like this. Is it a historical account? Because we know Jonah is a real person. He's referenced by Jesus. He's referenced in Second Kings. And he's referenced by other works. We know Jonah's real, but there's this whole debate. Is it historical? Is it a story of Jonah? Or is it, is it a make-believe story of Jonah like a parable? Like the parable of Lazarus, but Lazarus was a real person. And so we, there's this whole debate that goes on. And can I be super pointed with this? I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I, I believe God could do that. There's no problem with that. He created the universe and so if he wants a fish to swallow a man, absolutely. I think we get so caught up in that. Again, the VeggieTales version, that we don't unpack the depth. We forget what the author wants us to know and it wasn't to sit here thousands of years later and try to work out how fish bile works and what he dissolve in that. And I, I, like, That's a fun conversation, but it's not the point of the book. By all means, have that over morning tea or the next time you're eating fish. But there's something deeper here. He's deliberately, the author is almost telling a satire. He's definitely being funny in this no matter literal no matter parable no matter a combination of the two the author is certainly trying to be funny in this did you know that there's sarcasm satire in the bible and the author is doing that very clearly to make us uncomfortable i believe what do i mean well as true form a really weird analogy but has anyone seen a leslie nelson film you shouldn't have, they can be quite rude, and so, but no, no. I, Leslie Nelson, if you don't know, is a comedian. Um, he has these, he's known for these satire films, and I must confess it's a little rude, but there's a movie called The Naked Gun 1, 2, and 3, where he plays a cop, and it's satire of that genre, that detective genre. In fact, one of his movies, he shows his inner monologue, and this is, doesn't matter if you don't know who Leslie Nelson is, but he's got this monologue as he's driving, and he's like, the call came in at 6 a.m. this morning. I was halfway through the car wash. I quickly got going down to the station. It opens like a detective, a sort of newer, newer sort of film. Then it zooms out and there's suds all over the car and there's the guy hanging on top that's still been trying to brush the top of the car. He literally left halfway through a car wash. Um, you might, I can tell from the lack of laughter, you guys um, don't understand how funny that is. <laughs> But it is very funny. I laughed as I thought about it. Um, but you expect him to finish the car wash. But instead, halfway through, he's just left like that. And it just, it's satire. It's funny. It's, it's absurd. It's, it's extreme. This is very similar to what the author of Jonah was doing. Another example of this, um, well, 
and yeah, another example of this is actually the language used. So there's this Hebrew word in there, gadal, and it's used nine times in this book. It's a very short book. It's used nine times. And what it basically means is great. So there was a great wind. There was a great fish. There was a great city. There was a great road. There was a great ocean. There was a great boat. Everything is like great, big, extreme. He's using extreme language to tell somewhat a funny, quirky story. Even the fact this is a prophet and within the first opening lines, like a Leslie Nelson film, prophet hears from God and then he goes, yeah, nah, and runs. They would have had a little giggle as they read that back when it was written. They knew there was a bit of nuance there. And then they'll have a laugh when they meet sailors who, they're sailors and they're asking God what they should do and they're casting lots and they're real receptive to God. These hardened sailors and fishermen are receptive to God. It's a little bit quirky. It's a little bit funny. Then there's this whole other part we'll explore with a vine that dies. It's, it's meant to be unnerving. It's meant to get you thinking. It's meant to have a laugh at. Even the locations, I'll show you a map here, they're all extreme. Where he was running, Tarshish is one of the furthest places on the map in that known world. It's literally going, he's going to the ends of the world. He couldn't be going any further away. It's extreme. It was further, way over there. He's going there. You could imagine him reading it, going, I can't believe he's going there. I was trying to think of the Australian equivalent. Well, he's going out to Whoop Whoop or something like that. I don't know. He's going out there. Again, not that I'm interested in a debate. I'm not saying this is not a real story. The author is telling it in a very extreme way for a reason. Not interested in the debate. I'm interested in why he's telling it this way. Why is he telling it this way? that thousands of years later we would be talking about it. I believe, and most commentaries I read about this idea, is that to tell a funny, extreme, almost satire story takes us off guard. We read it, we have a laugh, isn't that amazing? We tell the kids, we make VeggieTale films about it, it's funny, it's interesting, it's a great story. And maybe we laugh at this ridiculous man, I can't believe a prophet would run from God. How ridiculous. You can't run from God. He's everywhere. What a ridiculous guy and he's a prophet. To go to this furthest place he can go in the known world, to get thrown overboard and live in a big fish for three days. I believe the intent of the author is when the laughter stopped. We have a laugh. We look at this story. Oh, I ran from God. <laughs> but as it fades out, we go... Wow, I wonder, wonder if I run from God sometimes. In fact, I dare say I am running from God in parts of my life. Oh, I wonder what I run from. And suddenly we relate to Jonah more than any other prophet. We see his humanity. I think it's to take us off guard so that as we process this, and this is what I'm ha ha hoping for over the next four weeks, 
is as we process this story, we start to realise, hey, that's very true for most humanity. They'd run from God. It's not comfortable to head there. And maybe we would run from God as well. Maybe we are running from God. And so we, to simplify it, we say a person runs from what God is asking of him is the story. And then the question is, am I running from anything God has asked of me? Once the silliness of the story slows down, we ask ourselves, am I running from anything that God has asked of me? I think the, to take this one step deeper, I think we need to understand why he ran, though. Storybooks, VeggieTales, will often say it's about fear. We'll actually say he was scared. And he has every right to be scared because they were known for skinning people that were political enemies of this city. The city is known, it's written about, they were very, 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 very evil. Abuse, known for their violence, known for that, yeah, literally skinning those that politically opposed them. And so you would think it's a very good reason to say he was scared to go there. However, I think that gives us a bit of safety because it's actually not the reason. But I like that we, we lean towards scared because I don't know about you, but that gives me a bit of comfort. Oh, the reason I didn't follow God is I was scared. Still not good, but it gives us a little bit, oh, it's okay, you're allowed to be scared. You're only human. But the reason is actually deeper and more frustrating for us to reflect on. Let me read. In, four, um, in chapter 4 it says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Very extreme guy. Wasn't that he was scared? That could be part of it. It was that God's vision didn't align with Jonah's vision. He didn't want to. That's far worse. He just didn't want to. It didn't, it didn't see how Jonah saw his life playing out. Jonah had ideas. Jonah had some great ideas. Well, I don't know if they were great ideas. He had strong ideas, let's say that. He thinks this very evil city, which was very evil, very violent, very bad, he thinks it deserves, with its explicit acts and violence and demonic activity and evil king, he thinks it needs to be destroyed. He's got this idea for the city. He's like, no, that's how it should happen. That's justice. That should happen. That city is bad. Don't forget all his friends, his peers that knew he was a prophet, know this city is bad. And so imagine the reputation if he goes over there and they do exactly what he thinks God's going to do and forgive him. Then he has to go back as the prophet that saved the enemies. This is not great for Jonah's brand. This is not on point. Instead of the guy that helped reign destruction, like Sodom, comes back and goes, our enemy, those violent people that have possibly killed people we know, yeah, me and God took care of them. That's way more on brand for Jonah. But he knows God. And he knows it's not going to how it's going to play out, so he runs. 
What a simplistic but both deep and profound exploration of what sin is right there. What it means to truly disobey. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. But it's, I don't want to do that, God. I think I know better, God. God, that doesn't fit where I am at the moment. That's going to cost me, God. No thanks. That's not fun. I'm all right, God. That's really difficult. I'm above that. I'm better than that. I know more. Thanks for the advice, God, but I'll pass on this one. That's not going to benefit me. That's not really in my three-year plan, God. Thanks, but no thanks. We're kind of on a different trajectory. No thanks. And while we may not physically run away to the end of the known world, we're certainly, humanity I'm saying, is certainly good at trying to hide. Hide with distraction. We hide with comfort. We hide in an alternate project. I won't do that, God, but I'll do this, which kind is like that, but it benefits both of us. (laughs) We hide in self-pity. It's really interesting he asks everyone to throw him overboard. At first, when I've always read this before, this reading, and when I did a bit more research about this, you think, what a selfless guy. I'll die for this. Throw me overboard. I don't want you guys to die. Save me. But then you look at Jonah right through this story and you realise it's just another way to be selfish. I I so badly don't want to do what you want me to do, God. Throw me overboard because I'd rather die. He says it later on. Then do what you've asked me to do. He's actually just doubling down on his running. Well, do you know what? You found me on my way to the furthest city. So try finding me now, God. I'm going to die. Throw me overboard. Makes him look a bit like a hero. But really, he just doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. He doesn't want it that bad. We'll go to incredible lengths to do something that makes us look like a hero. If that's not an analogy for religion, bad religion, I don't know what is. When we're busy doing things for God, throw me overboard, God. I'll give up my life for this to avoid doing what he's actually asking us to do. I think that's a perfect analogy of when religion turns bad. I'll serve I'll serve this church, I'll serve this, I'll do this, I'll, be, I'll wake up at 4am on a Sunday morning and I'll be there to, even though no one's asked me to be, I'll be there till 10pm at night just to avoid what you might have actually asked me to do, God. We can hide in religion, we can hide in our job, we can hide anywhere, everywhere. This world offers us many places to hide. So how do you run from God this morning, Burley? really the central question of this month how do you run maybe you don't run maybe you're like i don't run that's okay what would you how would you run that's a softer way maybe to ask it i know i run parts of me yeah love it love it yeah the world loves keeping us busy how does anyone else run you can say a friend of yours. 
if that, if that if my friend of mine runs this way, not me. <laughs> Spending, overspending. You feel like you've achieved something when you buy something. It's true. It's fights. Again, these aren't evil things. They're just great distractions. And they can be evil if they distract us from what God is asking. Education. Education. Unpack that. What do you mean? Yep. Yep. Certainly the, the badge, the job title, the, the piece of paper is a great way. Again, not evil, just great distractions. Um, it's way better to know heaps than to let God do heaps in you. Well, not way better, it's way easier. I reckon the alternative project is a great one for me. I work on something slightly close to what I think he's asking me to do. So, Steve, I need you to repent from this. I need you to fix up balance in this area of life. I need you to work on this, mate. Great. What I'm hearing is a Bible study Tuesday night for men. (laughs) So we can all work on it together. No, no, that's not what I said. Yeah, yeah, no, great idea, God. Thanks. Bible study for men Tuesday night. I don't know. I'm not, that's, that's bad, but that's great. Oh, thanks for that, God. I'll go ask my friends about that and see if they're struggling with that. I'll preach on that. That's good, God. Thank you for that advice. I'll preach on that and make sure we're all on the same page. Oh, no, Steve, it was for you. No, no, oh, thanks. That's how I run, alternative projects. It's like almost what he wants me to do, but it's not. So I just want us to ask, how do you run from God? How are you running from God? Here's the most dangerous thing I've noticed has crept into modern-day church. One of the most dangerous things is, and I've heard this, um, I can't do that. I can't commit to that God. This is to God because that sounds dangerous. It would cost me. But more than that, God wants me to be happy. One of the most dangerous things I think we've confused with obedience to God is that God thinks exactly what we think. So the thing that brings us joy in the moment, we think he has to agree with that. Our world vision. So for Jonah, God doesn't want me to be skinned alive. He wants me to be happy, so he wouldn't ask me to go there. It's very, like, just almost sounds right. God wants me to be happy, because he does. But maybe not in the way you think happiness is. Oh, I need that 17th apartment block. God wants, God wants me to be happy, right? <laughs> yeah, he does. I reckon it's dangerous. I don't know about you. I've just, I reckon that's a dangerous thing, sweeping the Western Christian world. God wants me to be happy. He does. But happiness could be a little bit different defined by God. Let me give you another example. My son Noah, just talked about him, um, almost being seven. He loves video games. And it's from me. I, I, get that. I don't know if that's passed down genetically, but it has been if it is. I love video games. And I feel for him in 2024 because video games are so good. So good now. I understand. I'd never, if I was his age, I'd never want to stop playing video games. I, not, he's not an 
evil person for wanting to play video games. They're awesome. They're a great escape. They're way better than homework. They're way better than doing chores. So, like, you can't blame him. Um, and so we're working with him at the moment as every little almost seven-year-old boy getting off them when it's time to finish up. And so we set a little 20-minute countdown, but at the moment that you have to save and finish up, there's a little bit of crankiness, a little bit of anger towards the controller or us. Um, just he's working that out because he doesn't want to get off. He doesn't want to get off. This is how I see Jonah. This is how I see us. Because I don't want him to get off because I dislike him. I don't want him to get off because I can't stand him having fun. I go, look, Mez, he's having fun. Let's ruin it. <laughs> I have a... And me and Mez have a better, better thing for him. It's not good for him to live on that. Well, he does have homework to do. He does have chores. He has, it might be dinner time. It might be time to have dinner as a family. There's good and beautiful things for him. But in that moment, he could say to me, Dad, don't you want me to be happy? Don't you understand? My happiness is really important for me at the moment. I'm prioritising me. And that's okay above other people, but not above God. And for Noah, not above his parents. That's cool, mate, but we're prioritising you in a different way. We love you. This is really hard. This is really hard when it comes to obedience. Because what if you didn't have parents? What if you did have spiteful parents? What if you did have angry parents? What if you did have parents that did things just to make their life easier and better? Then you're going to project that on God. And when God talks to you, you're going to go, I, don't, I think there's a catch there. I think this is actually about what you want, God. Or you want to, it's selfish towards you. However your parental, however you're brought up is going to affect that whole obedience issue. This is the biggest issue. Obedience. Oh, you might have just been part of a really religious church where they added rules that weren't in the Bible. They added rules on rules on rules on rules. And so when God asks you to do something, you feel naughty, you feel bad, you just feel guilty. Yeah, I'll take my hat off in church, God. He said God never. <laughs> if that's how you're brought up, then disobedience is like punk. It's going against the man, going against... It, but that's not God. As Jonah says, God is always more gracious than you can imagine. God is always more loving than you can imagine. God has a plan that is better than you can imagine. God does want you to be happy. In his line of happiness is the most happy, the most filled, the most joyful. It is well with your soul type joy. And maybe you won't find the comfort you want in this life, but you've got eternity with him of restoration, of healing, of life, of building with dad. He wanted Jonah. Jonah couldn't see this because he couldn't see past his own brand of this city's evil. He wanted Jonah to be the guy. Imagine if this story played out differently. Jonah, well, it did. Jonah did get there in the end, and the whole city turned to God. That's the type of story God has for you, full of redemption, restoration. Yes, it's sometimes uncomfortable. For some people, it means traveling to the other side of the world and being missionaries. And for other people, it means not taking that second or third job. Or it, for others, it's not living in that area. For that, it's maybe distancing yourself from different friends and finding other ones. Sometimes it's crazy enough not taking the promotion. 
Sometimes it's not getting that extra thing, as Amy said. How crazy, Amy. I don't know what it is for you. But how do you run from God? And what what are you running from at the moment? So I want to stop, I guess start this series, but want to stop just with, you don't have to solve it this morning. I want to take it towards that cross. But what in your life is God saying, hey, mate, put down the controller. You've had enough of that. I've got something better for you. I know what you're doing right now is you think is awesome, but there's so much more in this life for you. There's so much for you, so much for your family, so much for your marriage, if you're married. He has so much. In fact, as Judy talked about, he proved his love. He is not the distant father. He is not the abusive father. He is not the narcissistic parents. He is a good father that did everything to bring you back. And so what do you think he's going to do with your life if you let him? (laughs) The guy that died for you, that loves you, that crossed the universe, that broke the universe for you, what do you think he's going to do with your life now that he's won it back? I tell you, it's going to be good and beautiful. It's going to be deep. Definitely not comfortable sometimes. Definitely hard sometimes. Definitely strange sometimes. But it's the best possible place you can be. And so what do you need to turn back from? What are you running? How do you run? What are you running from at the moment? It can be something big. It can be something little. One question I did just put in my notes is, if you don't know how to hear from God, you're saying, Steve, that sounds good. Please come have a chat to me. Um, There's no direct formula. Most of the time, my advice would start with listen. As we talked about, we're so busy, we don't, even hear, we don't even get a chance to hear from him. And so if you're struggling to hear from God, let alone obey him, just try listening first. Um, if you want to know how to listen, like what some prayers or some meditations you can do around the word, come and have a chat. I, I have a heap of stuff. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Listen and obey. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this satire, comedy, deeply challenging and encouraging story about a man that ran from God. As we finish up this morning, as we finish our last song, as we eat our morning tea, I just pray as it sinks in, the message of the original author would just speak to us. And What are we running from? What have we been telling God? Oh, I don't know if that makes me happy. (laughs) What have we been telling God he should do? And what's he been asking of us? And how do we run away from it? God, just let us know this morning if if there's people here that just need to know afresh your love, that you have a good and beautiful purpose, that you have a good and beautiful plan, that you have the best plan for their life, that they are loved, that through Jesus they are forgiven, that you are always almost offensively too gracious. (laughs) Reveal whatever needs to be revealed this morning as we continue this series. In Jesus' name, amen.